Signs of the Southland, August 2nd, 2021. Mr. Jake Grant, uh, I assume that you didn't watch the Gold Cup final uh, yesterday night and then also do the double of waking up to watch the women's national team. Can you tell me, have you ever had a miserable rivalry game experience that your team actually won and i'm talking like cover to cover misery like you have like just a rotting feeling in your stomach the entire time because that was how i watched both of these games uh i mean 2016 uga comes to mind but um i don't know man the 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 2015 nlds cardinals versus cubs that was that was we won in four games so it wasn't even a five gamer but uh just every every moment of every game except for like immediately after a run was scored and then after a game ended was like oh my when are we gonna blow it Uh, we're, we're trash they're better than us even though they only won like two or three more games than us in the regular season but yeah um that that was like five days of pain too <laughs> oh yeah uh, i i mean if we're sco- we i'm scoping this just to rivalry games so we could put like a nice box on it let me tell you if we want to talk about baseball pain stretched out across like a five day you know a, a seven day period look no further than the 2020 NLCS, but I don't want to unpack that again. Personally. Yeah, I, I really thought you were going to take a left turn into the last seven days of my life uh, as I mourn the implosion of my beloved baseball team. But uh, we already mourn the implosion of my beloved soccer team. So <laughs> I'm not going to make fun of you for the same thing. Oh, oh no. The, um, uh, I will self-promote here for a second, but I thought my tweet yesterday was pretty apt in noticing that Clark the Cub was at Truist Park, uh, and I was wondering if they had traded him too. But uh, I would would today's topic be considered happier news? Because I, I don't really know how I feel about that. I think it is happier news. I think it's it's happier news in that there's hope. Right. Are we going to tell them what it is or no? We'll get there. But it's happier news in that there's a sparkle of hope. Right. There's not the depressing decline and implosion that comes with roster mismanagement uh, at the professional level. There's like there's upward trajectory. Right. Actually, you've seen the show Ted Lasso, right? If you say it's the hope that kills you, I'm going yes. to... That that's I, I thought about that even before I made the Ted Lasso connection. But in the context of today's topic, as some of you may have already guessed, it's men's basketball. We're saddled with the unfortunate expectation of expectations, wouldn't you say? I hate expectations. I hate so, expecting expectations. They suck. <laughs> I guess at that at that uh, juncture, what are our expectations for this year? Or is, are we not doing that yet? We have to start at the at the top, right? Yeah, let's start at the top. We're talking about men's basketball. We're talking about Georgia Tech men's basketball, uh, defending ACC tournament champs. Uh, you can put an asterisk on it. You cannot. Oh. I choose to not because that's not what the T-shirt that I have says. Uh, even though I ordered that, uh, two, what 
an adult small or not adult small a youth small yeah <laughs> fanatics is a um certainly a bet in uh a sports apparel firm that's that's what i'll say it's certainly a sports apparel firm would you call it yesterday the the espn of sports apparel firms yes because monopsony power is monopsony power Ooh, big word big word all right i'm learning my vocabulary words, I, believe, I believe the uh the phrase that you used to describe basketball was what orange ball orange hoop orange ball orange hoop put the ball in the same colder hoop it's not super difficult that's how basketball works again every podcast is someone's first Every podcast, someone's first. We have to start at the basics, even if most people listening to this know how basketball works. Like I said, orange ball, orange hoop. This is starting to get awkward as a bit. Mr. Grant, talk to me about where Georgia Tech basketball plays its games. Uh, Georgia Tech plays at McCamish Pavilion. Uh, It is located at the corner of uh, Fowler and 10th up on the north end of Georgia Tech's campus. Uh, It was the... uh, I believe two seasons ago now that they last, they didn't really refresh much of the arena, but they did the court and uh, made the gold, the right shade of gold and all that. Well, they did it once. They, they put the right shade of gold down once and then they couldn't change it for an entire season, despite realizing after the first televised game that the shade of gold looked green. I for one love cheering on the green jackets. Actually, that's some that's some Bobby Jones vibes to it. Um, I mean, that's a, literally an Augusta uh, minor league baseball team in the Brave system, but I digress. Um, okay. But it looked green tinged on TV, and I think that was the 2019-2020 season, um, or it might have been the 2018-2019 season. And so they renovated it, or they redid the floor um, during that, the, the subsequent offseason. Uh, and refreshed it so either way i had no idea because i went to all those home games in person so go figure um i was like really it looks bad it looked fine it, um, no, no no no. it was one of those things because i remember because it was one of those things where it looked fine in person but as soon as you looked at it on tv you knew that it would it did not look good fair enough um but yeah in terms of the whole stadium as many of you know uh it was last uh, gutted to the studs in 2011 $45 million complete teardown rebuild, uh, $15 million uh, from Hank McCamish, which is uh, why it's no longer called the Alexander Memorial Coliseum, which on some level feels dirty, but this is a building we're talking about that was like the McDonald's something. What was that? McDonald's I mean, it was. I'm sure it was like the McDonald's Alexander Memorial Coliseum. I don't have the actual name in front of me, so I am going to open up another tab here and look at that while you keep talking yeah we took a we took a left turn off of our shot sheet here because i realized that halfway through that sentence i was going to say wow changing it from mccamish pavilion or changing it to mccamish pavilion from named in honor of tech football coach ad uh it's his dream project kind of fellow uh seems a little dirty but uh I'd say it's it's at least, or at the very worst, the second worst name the building's ever had out of okay. three. <laughs> okay, so I, I pulled this up. This is from January. This is an AP story from uh, January 22nd, 1996. So that's the Olympic year. Um, the, the, these were probably done as part of the Olympic renovations. 
uh, right before 96. Obviously, the original name after it was officially renovated for the Olympics was Alexander Memorial Coliseum at McDonald's Center. McDonald's had donated $5.5 million to tech for, you know, the total of $13 million of renovation. Um, and the major problem with this is that there used to be a drive through at gate three of the arena. What? Wow. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I, like, I like to gatekeep a little bit on how much history I know, but wow. I, I, um, in terms of, I guess, more on topic, maybe less on topic, um, McKay Mish, like we said, got renovated top to bottom, tore down the old facade. Um, it's now very silvery, very new age. Looks like a spaceship landed on the north end of campus. Looks uh, like most of the newer academic buildings that you'd see on campus circa 2008 and, and more recent, I would we've, say. Uh, we've uh, been quoted at length on this podcast talking about uh, a term that I coined called colcification of campus. Uh, McCamish is not immune to the colcification of campus. Um, yeah, 2011-2012, uh, those games were not here. They were either downtown, uh, a handful were up at uh, the Gwinnett, Gwinnett Infinite Energy. Yeah, Gwinnett Infinite. It's like Duluth Infinite Energy Center. It's where the Atlanta Gladiators, nay, Gwinnett Gladiators play. Yeah. Um, other, uh, other ways that's worked in reverse, we've had the dream at 2017 and 2018 at Tech uh, while uh, State Farm Arena was being renovated. I believe they've had odds and ends playoff games here over the year, uh, over the years too. Um, some preseason Hawks games, just general basketball content, I guess. Uh, so I mean, it is ostensibly a basketball arena. I, I don't yeah. know where you're going with this. No, I mean, it's, it's, it, there's, it's random basketball. Um, I, uh, I guess I was surprised a couple of years ago that they didn't play that volleyball postseason game we had there, but I guess that was kind of some small potatoes. Uh, so go figure. I also, so part of me thinks that that arena is not configured for volleyball with the, the, um, this, what am I saying? The uh, holes for the net on the, on the floor. Cause those have to be pre-installed into the hardwood. Yep, you're right. You're right. I didn't even think about that. And also um, the and also the volleyball lines, like the actual court lines. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, that was just me going off the cuff. Um, the uh, the general history, like we said, named after uh, William Alexander. It was opened in 1956 to replace the Heisman Gym. Uh, this building uh, or that building would go on to uh, host wrestling, gymnastics, swimming just a whole bunch of random stuff after, uh, after basketball left. As I said, it was Alexander's uh, like Moby Dick style white whale. Like he, he, he went to the grave. Like that was, that was his project. And then they came through uh, right at the end and, and built it. Um, and so they named it after Alexander. Um, yeah. Let's see what else we got. We talked Olympics uh, home of boxing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Wikipedia says boxing. I thought it was wrestling, which yeah. shows how much I know. Uh, it was also the original home of the of the Atlanta Hawks for four years while the Omni was being built um, at the first four years that they were in town. So that's 68 to 72. Um, the playing surface was named after Bobby Kremens in 03. We'll talk about him in a bit. Uh, it's also nicknamed the Thriller Dome, uh, as we all know. 
by noted former radio commentator and now uh, CBS uh, TV commentator Brad Nessler during the '83 and '84 football or basketball season because of a bunch of close games played there. Uh, I don't have an exact date on this. Wikipedia didn't have an exact date on it. Um, I haven't been able to find a sort like an exact game on YouTube where it was used, but I mean. A thriller was released in, Thriller by Michael Jackson was released in 82 The nickname was applied in 83-84 You could kind of see where Nestler was going with this It was the 80s These things happen <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I thought of tossing in a bit of What would a stadium get named after In modern music But then I realized I don't know enough about modern music To make that judgment Um Notes on music, because we strive to be Georgia Tech's number one esoteric topic podcast, and and that includes why the marching band plays random stuff. Um, Tech plays Thriller at halftime, at the end of halftime, for this very reason. Um, They also play a song called Alexander's Ragtime Band, uh, a song that you probably have never heard of. But uh, if I played the arrangement, you'd be like, oh, that one uh, from the pregame show um, for similar reasons, uh, being Alexander Memorial Coliseum. Sadly, there is no song named after McCamish yet. So I I guess somebody has got to get on that. But in the meantime, it's Thriller and Alexander uh, in terms of uh, songs referencing the name of the building. at one point, we had a list or a playlist of all of the, the stand tunes for basketball. Maybe we'll post it at some point, but it, it, it's pretty dense. Yeah. Um, so funny you mentioned that. I actually got <laughs> permission uh, from Ben to explore making a From the Rumble Seat uh, Spotify account to have uh, some shared uh, these are the songs they play at sporting events playlist but uh i also forgot about that about a day and a half after i uh started thinking about it so Have maybe i'll consider writing these things down at any point like do you use a notebook do you use I, a calendar I, like are I these things right. that are familiar to you the ideas go in one year and then they immediately leave out the other you know all right, you just keep, continue. Championship structure, go, All come right. on. Championship structure, uh, as we talked about for baseball and softball, uh, we're, we're, we're going through the championship and the season structure. Uh, the conference tournament uh, is an invite to all teams in the conference, uh, 15 uh, in the ACC's case, uh, the past six, seven, eight seasons, uh, eight, I think. Um, the top four teams get a double buy, uh, meaning – that it's really an eight-team tournament by the time they start playing. Uh, seeds five through eight get a single bye, uh, and it is single elimination. So if you're if you're below eight, you're you're playing a lot of games uh, in order to get to that uh, get to that top rung. Um, the NCAA tournament, uh, the winner of the ACC tournament gets an automatic bid, as do the rest of the other 31 conferences in the country. Um, it's a 64 team bracket with four first round games, bringing the field to 68. Um, that's worded weirdly. I did. There's no real easy way to describe that, but um, most of you are familiar with basketball. So uh, you know what I'm talking about. I don't really get why the extra games exist. This money. Other than money. Um, 
two of the playing games are always 16 versus 16 seed matchups, which means that uh, less of those sweet, sweet main bracket uh, slots are taken up by the Prairie View A&Ms of the world, uh, which is both good for money and sad for those guys not being able to play like a one or a two seed. Um, let's see. Um, yeah, 32 at-larges uh, conference, or sorry, 32 conference winners, uh, 36 at-larges. Yeah, that, that, that's the NCAA tournament. What else we got, Akshay? Um, I wanted to mention that the ACC tournament should always and forever be in Greensboro just because of how viscerally angry it makes Jim Beheim to have to play in Greensboro. That's all. Hey, I, uh, I, I'm a fan of centrally located and consistently cited uh, postseason events a la Big Ten uh, football in Indianapolis, uh, ACC football in Charlotte, et cetera, et cetera. You're, you don't have to convince me. <laughs> God, oh, he was so mad. He was so mad. He continues to be mad to this day. It's so funny. Uh, moving right along, let's talk some tech history. I think the story of tech basketball is, you know, long and arduous. I think it basically starts with Heisman himself. Uh, then you have right after Heisman or a little bit after you have Wack Heider, who got a lot of, a lot of run this year, uh, specifically because he had beat Adolf Rupp at, uh, at, at Kentucky a couple of times during Kentucky's heyday in the thirties and forties. Yeah, um, he he did. He played uh, for Georgia Tech before he coached there. So it was Heisman, then a gap. You know, you had some some random Alexander and Dodds in there, and along with guys who were only known by their first name. I think literally in in the media guide, one of our coaches is only listed as Irving. Uh, so lost the time. Name was that's fun. here's to you, Irving. Um, yeah, no, uh, Wackheider, one of the first big basketball prospects actually out of the state of Georgia. Um, that is a little bit unsung in the history of basketball is for a long time, you know, this was not the place to get the win in recruits. Um, but uh, yeah, no, Heider uh, came along as an assistant coach in 46 through 51, coach for Tech 51 through 73, um, kind of that end of the SEC era, era and then into independence. He's Tech's second winningest coach. Uh, I believe you can probably guess who the first is. Uh, no, it is not Josh Passner. No, it is not Paul Hewitt. It is Bobby Kremens, um, who, uh, of course, there's other, there's other men of note on this list, but Bobby Kremens is the next most important after Hyder and also probably just in general, the most important, right? <laughs> um, I mean, I'm not going to argue. Yeah, Bobby Kremens, uh, when people think of like, Georgia Tech basketball deserves to be like consistently good, yada, yada, yada. It is because they probably came up on the program when it was consistently good uh, in the Bobby Kremens years. That is the mid eighties through the nineties. And then up to 2000 Uh, success continued in the early two thousands under Paul Hewitt. Um, There were two final four runs in there, including a run to the national championship game. Um, uh, UConn uh, baby. Yeah. Hewitt, uh, Hewitt got one, um, and Kremens got the other. Uh, I th- we also beat UConn the year we lost to them in the uh, yeah in the, or in the national championships. That's yes. Fun. So the ninety the the ninety final four run it was in Denver. Um, Antonio, 
right? Or no, yeah. One of, them, one of them was in Denver. The other one was in San Antonio. I think the 91 was in Denver and the 04 one was in San Antonio. You're right, you're right. Um, yeah. For both, the wreck has actually gone out to both. So uh, important to make that distinction. Um, but in 90, they lost to Valvano's UNLB, um, if I remember correctly. I'm going to look up the stat so that I... I don't think it was Valvano's UNLB. It was it was Tarkanian, yeah. But okay, so I have the wrong I have the wrong coach, but the right team. Um, so it was UNLB uh, Jerry Tarkanian's uh, UNLB Running Rebels. I think they're still the Running Rebels. They were. Uh, they do be the Running Rebels. Um, uh, Dennis Scott was the top scorer in that tournament. Fun fact. Um, and then 04, that was versus UConn. Yada yada yada. Um, I I mean both of these games were pretty close if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, was basically a heartbreaker. <laughs> yeah. So um, ninety was a nine point UNLV win. Tech led by seven and a half. Uh, and then if I flip over to two thousand and four, very carefully typing. Um, national semifinals. Tech beat Tech okay. beat Oklahoma State by two to make it to the final, uh, and then lost by nine in the championship. Yeah, it's worth noting. Um, also, that wait, what was I going to say? Shoot, really? Two thousand and four. Oh yes, no, I have a question for you. 0304 that uh, summer. What was Georgia Tech's biggest loss year over year? Chris Bosch. Yes. So that that that's definitely a sticking point for a lot of people. But I mean, I can see that. But also, I have to I have to make a point of, uh, or I have to point out that Emeka Okafor was UConn's leading scorer in this game. And I'm pretty sure he was drafted by the Charlotte Bobcats immediately after. Uh, and we all know how well that went. The Charlotte Bobcats are a very successful basketball franchise, sir. Noted successful basketball franchise, Chicago, Bo- or uh, Charlotte Bobcats. Um, Freudian slip there, eh? Freudian slip. Um, so, Yeah. Paul Hewitt, Bobby Crimmins, two really good, you know, two coaches that had really good back-to-back tenures. Here's the problem. Here is the problem. Tech at one point, and I, I could pull up the contract specifically, but Tech at one point decided that it would be a good idea to keep Bobby Crimmins effect, or not Bobby Crimmins, Paul Hewitt effectively on retainer. They gave him an auto-renewing contract with a very large buyout. Uh, he underperformed in, I think it was what, 08 and 10? Yep. And then got canned. But because the contract was auto renewing, the buyout was still massive. And so Tech had him on payroll until about 2017. Yep. They hired Brian Gregory uh, in 10 uh, from, where was he? He was like, not Davidson. Dayton. Dayton. Dayton another D school. They hired Brian Gregory out of Dayton. He coached from what? He coached from 10 to 16. He got canned 
and you, they still had to pay two years of his buyout. So for a period there, Georgia Tech was paying three basketball coaches, two of whom did not coach, actively coach at this institution. And it is a, it is infuriating the, that that had, that had was happening. But thankfully, obviously, all of that is now past us. All of those contracts are off the books. We're not paying out egregious buyouts every year. We're just paying off egregious amounts of construction debt. But that is not either near here nor there. Jake, please save me from this bit. The, uh, all that money saved uh, from Hewitt and Gregory's contract can go right back into the Waffle House food truck and buying lots of T-shirts for the winter workouts for the football team. Um, Oof. I, that was unnecessarily salty. Um, but uh, Also very in, true. Anyway, moving on. In terms of the usual schedule, 20 <laughs> ACC games. This has increased a lot over the years, you might note. Um, but this also gives us the perk of, you know, uh, seeing at home every team a lot more often. Um, it works out to more or less two out of every three years. Uh, we'll, we'll see um, teams at home, unless they're named Clemson or Notre Dame. Uh, those are our annual rivalry games within the ACC. Um, we played them twice, once here on the and once here and once on the road. The Notre Dame games in particular have been quite excruciating affairs the last five-ish years um, in terms of uh, close wins, uh, good matchups. Bray is, uh, Mike Bray uh, of Notre Dame is definitely a coach that Josh Pastner uh, aspires to be, I think is a fair way to put that. Um, so we get them in the building every year. Um, in terms of the rest of the ACC slate, um, we, like I said, we see teams at home and on the road two out of every three years for the most part. Um, there is usually a week with an off game in the schedule, just based on how scheduling for a 15 team, uh, league understandably works out. Um, this passner usually fills with like a D two team one year. He squeezed Yale in there, just random mid season exhibition. I, I don't think they like to get out of rhythm, uh, as much during the regular season. Uh, in terms of the non-con schedule, there's a UGA game, usually another sec opponent, um, for a four-year stretch, we were playing Tennessee. I don't think we beat them any of those times, but I, I enjoyed that series. Uh, we had Arkansas in there for a couple of years. Um, we get LSU this year. We had a pair of games against Kentucky. Um, and then filling out the rest of the schedule is the ACC Big Ten Challenge uh, this year. That is Wisconsin hosted at McCamish. Um, so uh, a very decent team to get in the building uh, and a good draw there. I think we'll match up interestingly against them. Wisconsin's been in a bit of turmoil, but we can talk about them more once we get closer to the season. This is the Georgia Tech basketball preview, not the Wisconsin basketball preview. Um, and then the rest is schools uh, you either don't hear a lot of or have never heard of. I, for one, have learned quite a few school names from our basketball endeavors over the years. Right State? Uh, what? Right State? Yeah, I mean, Copeland State. Coppin State. Do not bring up the Grambling game. That is a sports low for me. We're we're not going to unpack that one tonight. But Woof. Ben Lammers, I still love you, even though you tipped in that shot. He's engaged now. Congrats. He's engaged. He's a German basketball champion. You know, that, that's the 40-year decision right there. Basketball um, Bundesliga, baby. Catch the fever. Yeah. 
Uh, I believe the uh, non-con schedule dropped today, did it not? It did. So as such, I'm going to go pull it up. I do know it starts with an exhibition against Morehouse. Um, I think we played them last year in exhibition too. Um, if not that, then the year before that. So all right, getting the city rival in there, but you know. All right, you got it? All right, I'm going to rattle them off. Uh, I'm going to read dates and uh, if applicable, I'm going to read locations if they're neutral sites. Uh, October 31st, Morehouse. Uh, November 9th, Miami of Ohio. Both those games are at home. Uh, November 12th is versus Stetson. 15th is versus Lamar. 19th is at Athens. 22nd is uh, home versus Charleston Southern. 26th is home versus Georgia Southern. Uh, December 1st is uh, home versus Wisconsin. That's part of the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Uh, ACC first because, uh, you know, East Coast, Beast Coast. Uh, anyway, um, December 11th uh, versus LSU. That is a neutral site at State Farm Arena as part of like a quadruple header situation. Um, like hoops giving or whatever. I don't know. Tournament's oh, weird. Um, December 18th uh, versus Southern California. That is in Phoenix at the Phoenix Suns Arena. Um, that is also another quadruple header situation for the holidays. Uh, then um, Georgia State on December 21st and then December 23rd versus Alabama A&M, both of those games at home. And then after that is basically the conference slate. So recapping, in the non-conference schedule, we have eight home games plus a ninth in exhibition, a tenth at the State Farm Center, an 11th at Athens, and then one out in Phoenix, right? Yeah. For so travel cost is going to be real low this year. And value on the season ticket uh, is going to be really high because we'll have 10 ACC games uh, plus the eight out of conference. I assume we'll get access to the ninth one there. So, you know, 18, 19-ish games. That, that's not too bad, right? I also feel like I paid half of what the price for season tickets is saying on this page that might be that might be in a young alumni discount that is exactly what i was going to say young alumni discount so it's a steep it is a steep uh, young alumni discount let me tell you i'll take it i will take it um Uh, the women's and they give you a nice discount on uh women's basketball tickets as well oh yeah um We'll, we'll, we'll definitely vouch for the good value of the men's and women's pair with the young alumni discount. So, yeah, I think it cost us, what, 140 for both teams? That's not bad. Uh, yeah, I don't want to dive into my budget documents, but probably. Yeah, I think that's what it was. But, um, but yeah, so go get season tickets. The women's one does come with UConn tickets as well, plus, you know, like 20, 20-ish ACC caliber basketball games between the two teams. So there you go. All right. We um, need to stop shilling for the people that don't pay us. That is true. Um, Let's hey. talk about the draft. Let's we've talked about the schedule. We've talked about the team, like the program. Let's talk about sort of the remnants of last year. Let's clean up and talk about the draft. That was earlier this week. I guess this seven day period time is effectively meaningless at this point. Um, Jose Alvarado and Moses Wright were the two people we were looking at to get drafted. Neither of them did actually get drafted. Um, 
Alvarado got signed to a two-way contract with the New Orleans Pelicans. Sidebar, Pelicans is still a dumb name. Um, Moses Wright uh, went to the Toronto Raptors on a summer league contract. How are we feeling about this? I, I think you had a little bit of consternation over the fact that, you know, these are all ACC guys and they didn't really get a shot in terms of the main draft contingent here. Oh, yeah. They got horrifically, horrifically underrated, I think. Uh, Wes Durham was tweeting through it <laughs> a couple days ago uh, and was saying similar stuff. On a personal level, I said that no matter where Jose goes, I'm going to go get a Jose Alvarado jersey. And I think he went to the team that I'm most ambivalent about in the entire league. Uh, New Orleans does not register on, on the radar at all. I guess they have Zion. Um, but uh, outside of that, uh, I think that also means that he has a lot of opportunity. Um, Moses, uh, Summer League, you know, I, I think a lot of us expected him to go in the draft as well. Uh, in fact, most, if not more than, than Jose. I, I, I at least was surprised to see him um, with not an equivalent contract offer, I guess. But again, the needs of the league change. They're different. Um, yeah, not going to, uh, not going to like, I guess, dive too deep into rules that are unfixed, like unchangeable for by you or me. Um, but it does, uh, it does show that a lot of good players from a lot of teams we beat uh, and some of which beat thoroughly or multiple times uh, were drafted in front of, uh, you know, the uh, ACC player of the year, first teamers, defensive players. This is, these are not too like, oh, they were just here a long time and we love them a lot. Like, yes, it was four great years watching two of them play together. But um, I don't know. They deserved more than they got. Uh, it it kind of makes you think at a certain level. I think Moses was gone. Like he was definitely gone um, the entire time. I, I think Jose was the one we were sort of will he, won't he about. Um, but Wes did make a good point. Like if we're starting to see ACC first teamers and the ACC POI snubbed from the draft, like what other options are there? Maybe they should be allowed to come back to school. Like they have an opportunity now to make NIL money. It's not going to be the same as a, you know, a full on contract in the summer league. It's not going to be a, like a full on professional career salary, but at the same time, it's still, it's still money. Um, they they might still have years left on their scholarships uh, depending on how uh, finances with the institution work out. But um, it's something to consider. And it's also, you have to remember that the, some of those rules, I don't remember if it's an NCAA rule or if it's an NBA rule that you can't go back to school. It's probably an NCAA rule, um, specifically for basketball. I mean, I just think that, that, I mean, and this gets a little bit into the weeds and outside of stat. And you, you and I like stats and logic from the Rumble Seat prides itself on being a very good analytical place to get some information. The only I, analytics podcast, Georgia Tech analytics podcast, mind you. I mean, sure. Um, but the uh, – like seeing Jalen Johnson go to the Hawks, and, and we'll talk a little bit more about him when we talk about the rest of the ACC, but a guy who played like nine games at the NBA level, and granted he's got talent, but a pattern of, hey, like 
just not showing up a lot. It's the team got better without him, but to see him go 20 overall to Atlanta and to see, you know, the, the player of the year, not, not even get a two-way contract. Like, uh, like, is that a problem? It can't be a problem with like Moses's agent, right? Like it, it can't be, maybe he had bad workouts, but I don't know. Like, and like Jose, you got four years of tape of this guy caring more than everyone who's ever stepped on a basketball court with him. Right. Like, I don't know. Jose, he has his shot. He has a two-way contract. He's going to make six figures. Like, good for him. Uh, I think he gets the opportunity to at least, you know, put his gut out there and, and hustle and, you know, get uh, to take care of business. Um, but it, it is disheartening to see, you know, I, I don't know. A lot of the uh, – and, and we'll get more into this as we talk about the team, the returning contributors, and who we think might break out. But – a lot of these, uh, the, the consensus is that Georgia Tech now without Jose and Moses is kind of washed or doesn't have the opportunity to stay old, if you will, to borrow a Pastnerism or, or a Mike Brayism. I think I, I, you can't blame all of this on people sleeping on Georgia Tech because that's irrational and dumb. But to some extent, it is people underrating Georgia Tech like Passner was not mostly lauded last year for his ability to coach his players. Like he got some of that. It was haha, Passner, big meme, haha, face shield. I mean, you're not I, wrong. I mean, maybe, maybe I'm a little bit too he- heavy on emphasizing this. And now as I hedge this, I sound like I'm just hedging every position that I'm taking, but I don't think it's uh, out of the picture to say that, you know, Jose Alvarado, wow, he's short, and he came from Georgia Tech. Like, you know, maybe if he was three inches taller and had a blue blood next to his name on the line, the consideration, I think, would be different. I I, I think that's it at a certain level, but it's also – I don't know. I think think being able to develop pro talent, uh, especially at the – as – as you're, as you get older, um, as your players get older, they enlist in the draft as like a, as a junior or senior, um, that having a, having a school with a reputation for producing pro talent is important. Um, it, it is worth a bit, like it is like a, a bit of a, um, what's the word I'm looking for a bit of a, a green flag right? That this guy went through this school. He was able to produce for this school for X number of years. Um, We know the coaching staff at that school. It's been stable for a long time. They have a known reputation for developing consistently contributing pro talent like that. Those sorts of self-fulfilling prophecies exist. That's how, like, that's how draft scouting works. It it doesn't always work out to the point where those things are, are resume blind, right? Um, I, I think, I think you're right in that these players are being unheralded uh, by, by pro scouts. It's just going to take time and consistently putting guys into the league to, to reevaluate that. Uh, I mean, tech is not known for putting guys in the league in the first place. Like it's known for having notable guys in the league, but if you look at the, just the sheer number there's not a ton, 
right? Whereas you can name a bunch. In the last 10 years. And where's the correlation to that? Oh, yeah. The team hasn't done a whole lot between 2011 and, and 2020, you know? So. Yeah. So, so it's just that, that sort of stuff is just going to take time. Um, you did sort of segue into talking about returning contributors uh, a little bit. So I'm going to let you take that and run with it here. You are just letting me do all the talking today, aren't you? Look, um, I've been up since 4 a.m. I watched multiple uh, soccer games in the last 24 hours. I'm very tired. That was your first mistake. Um, but yeah, no, um, you might have been at senior day or watched senior day or whatnot and noticed that there were five uh, big senior names graduating, that being Bubba Parham, Michael DeVoe, Jordan Usher, along with the aforementioned Alvarado and Wright. And uh, you'd be right to be want to be uh, talk about them yet. Uh, all three, uh, Parham, DeVoe, Usher, are coming back. Um, they represent um, in Bubba, a guard uh, who would spell Jose uh, at the point guard, the one or the two position. Uh, good Michael shooter. DeVoe, uh, yes, Bubba Parham, good shooter. Michael DeVoe, uh, definitely the... Uh, the most talented player we have coming back, I would say, um, or the biggest, uh, I guess, points load <laughs> that we have come back, 15 points per game, uh, four or five rebounds per game, uh, shot 40% from three. The giant asterisk on that being that when he was hot, he was unstoppable. And when he was cold, he was very cold. Ice um, cold. Like the, yes. then that guy got into slumps and it, it's nothing against him. Like this, this it's statistical, like it happens. But when he got into slumps, Oh my God. I saw a very, very interesting take during the season on that. Uh, or maybe it was one of my buddies and I talking, someone gave me this take because I did not think of it that Michael DeVoe performs notably different in dark arenas versus very intensely lit arenas. Uh, McCamish Clemson being some of the darker arenas. Um, is that correlation or causation? That's just, that's gotta be coincidence. But uh, I thought that was interesting. I've been sitting on that one for a while. Wait, wait, wait. I have to prove that. Run that back one more time. Run. So he was better in darker arenas. Yes, because that's what they practice in when they're in McCamish is, I guess, the logic that goes with it. You can't see this on not like, podcast. Not like podcast overall media. darker, but like main light on the court. And then like, I don't know. This sounds this sounds really bizarre and tinfoil hatty now that I'm saying it, but. It's it's a different level than just tinfoil hatty, but I think I would get canceled if I uh, emphasize what conspiracy that would go into. Keep going. Um. Again, I have no way to prove this. Maybe I should get somebody who knows more about analytics than me to do it. <coughs> or college, college basketball podcast of numbers and words, um, as they say. That one hits home hard. Um, but no, Devo, uh, leading scorer, probably the heart and soul captain-y type player uh, of the team. Uh, actually, no, Usher is a heart and soul kind of player too. But but Devo, uh, he's been around the program the longest of anyone who will be around. Um, Usher, it is worth mentioning, though, um, had kind of a breakout year last year, and I'd say he got better as the year went on um, for a threat at the – usually, I think, the four um, – on the forward, um, 
good for about 12 points per game. He had a couple games where there was a lot more than that, uh, and he's going to need to do that. Uh, but he will also be a bigger part of the, you know, the the lineup, uh, kind of a couple notches higher without Jose and Moses. So I think that would probably uh, can be expected to step up in accompaniment. Um, about four or five reba uh, rebounds per game again. Um, Passner does really like guard and uh, and forward rebounds, not just from his centers. Um, Usher was at times called on to play in the middle, though, which was a little bit out of position for him. Um, and then about two steals per game, notably as well on the stat sheet. Um, again, these three players do not add up to equal a Jose and a Moses, and you can't do that kind of math when these were three of the most common contributors next to them last year. Is that fair to say? Yeah, it, it, they don't you're missing a lot of intangibles. I hate like, like as like a massive analytics nerd, I like hate saying the intangibles word and like the, really talking about the concept. But at the same time, there is something about teamwork and grit and that sort of thing that you can't quantify. You can quantify, like you can quantify it at some level. You, everyone's wearing the trackers these days, et cetera, et cetera. But like when you're watching that in game, that's not necessarily something that shows up on a stat sheet, right? Cool. And, and that that part, that kind of stuff is irreplaceable, irreplaceable, um, yeah. or it, or even if it's not straight up impossible to replace, it's just very difficult to generate that same sort of vibe, that same sort of energy especially when you're talking about a team that very much so understood what the task was that last month, month and a half of this, uh, of the 2021 season. And they just dominated the back part of their schedule um, to, to make yeah. the ACC tournament in the proper, uh, you know, in the, in the proper seating and then make the NCAA tournament, regardless of what you think about the situation uh, with the tournament semifinals, but the, um, uh, the notable thing to say there too, is like, it's not fair. Like Jordan Usher brings the energy. They're all very passionate and they play a, a very uh, upbeat up. Uh, uh, I guess uplifting. It sounds weird to say it like that, but like, like they, they're all very uh, colorful players. Right. But um, like, you're not going to get these same like Brooklyn bandit uh, like, thievery i guess of the jose alvarado or the sheer like height of moses right like these these like you said they are they are intangibles um but that being said um like the smart play is is pretty universal uh, you did note on our shot sheet michael devoe has some todrick jackson like tendencies but sometimes you also have to be able to call your own number so i, I think between them we have shooting threats we have some scoring um and, and like Jordan, Jordan Usher has got a physical presence too. did lend himself occasionally to find himself in some early foul trouble. Uh, so that might be a big thing to look out, especially uh, with not a ton of depth in the middle and uh, with your big men, um, other returning contributors don't want to leave them out. Uh, Khalid Moore wasn't really much of an offensive threat, but Passner absolutely raves about his defense, like on every post game show that I've ever listened to. Um, and then Kyle Sturdivant, who um, probably I, would we consider him the backup point guard last year? Oh, look at me! You're the basketball guy on here on this podcast. 
I, I don't know if we really had a true backup point guard last year because Jose would play a lot of minutes, uh, but uh, Kyle Sturdivant's going to be playing uh, at least a role similar to that. Um, I think on the roster it said he wasn't an AE student anymore, so uh, rip. rip that. Um, I, I don't have a lot else there, but, but as, if somebody's going to need to step up in the most meaningful way from where they were last year, I think Sturdivant's got to be at the top of the list. Which brings us to breakout potential. Is there anyone on our little list you want to highlight, Akshay? Wow, what a great tee up right there. I want to talk about Tristan Maxwell, son of noted Utah Jazz Twitter hater Vernon Maxwell, as far as I am told. Uh, I'm he didn't really play that much at all because he had a leg injury for most of the season in 2020, 2021. But by God, my God. His dad is just a notorious hater of the of the state of Utah, and it is a uh, absolute spectacle to watch him go off on the Jazz. Uh, obviously, this doesn't reflect on Tristan. I'm sure he's a great basketball player, uh, and he was definitely available toward, for selection towards the end of the year. But they didn't want to, you know, take risks uh, with his health and potentially re-injure that re-injure that leg. Um, but. I, I'm bringing him up simply, or at least pointing him out simply because of his father. Because I, yeah. uh, I got to add that I was pretty nervous when we didn't see him after he was cl- quote unquote cleared um, that he was maybe considering transferring completely unfounded. I have no proof for that whatsoever. But... I mean, it, it's, I, I get it. Like, I, I, I think that sort of concern is valid. Um, it, but at the same time, he was like being cleared and being match fit are two entirely different things. Yep. Right. You can be sure. medically cleared to play, but you can, you don't have the fitness because you haven't been running on that leg as much as you would in live action. Um, and this is something you see a lot during uh, in, in soccer too, right? You'll have someone come back from that, from an ACL tear, they'll be medically cleared to go back and play but it'll still take them a couple of weeks or even like a month to come back and actually play a full 90 minutes again. Um, and that's, that's yeah. more or less what happened to Maxwell. And I mean, we're definitely going to see more of him in the rotation. I think with the amount of talent that you have on this team, I mean, just the number, the sheer number of players that you have on this team. Now it's going to behoove Pastner to actually play with a, with a 10 man rotation. <laughs> or just a larger than seven man rotation uh, in 2021, it just remains to be seen if he actually will. Yeah. I was surprised going, going through our like returning contributors, breakout potential, like new freshmen. You have two full, you have two full squads here. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great, that's a a problem we haven't had in a while. And again, I kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, but it, it really makes it, I think even more dissonant with people picking tech to finish 14th, 12th, 11th in the conference. Like they return a lot. Yeah. They're missing their two biggest and brightest stars, but like, you know, we, we have, we, we return Tristan Maxwell, a player who was by no fault of his own, essentially zero in terms of contribution last year, but a very exciting recruit uh, along with Debo Coleman, Jordan Mecca. I, I think uh, Saba Gigibara or Gigibara, a, I'm sorry. I'm going to butcher that name every time I say it. Gotta learn it at some point, buddy. Giggy Barra and Howard, there is nowhere to go but up. Mecca, Maxwell, Coleman, 
Davon Smith, all of these players, we have not seen really at all, right? Like this, yeah. there's, and, and again, there's kind of the fallacy of dreaming on them too hard, but I mean, Davon Smith, uh, top 70 recruit when he was at Mississippi State uh, and then has SEC D1 basketball experience. Um, yeah. That, that's not. I, and they also have a bunch of talented freshmen, right? Yeah. You, you have one of the one of the best recruiting classes in tech history. And I don't think it's a stretch to say that. I think statistically, that's what it that's what it looks like. Um, it did a lot the, of tech best teams were before recruiting blew up to what it is today. Uh, again, why people saying like, oh, best recruiting class ever. Mm, like, may, maybe I mean, it's not hard. Better. It's not a, if, given modern. Yeah. Like you said, given modern recruiting statistics, it's not particularly hard to make that determination, but on paper, I yes. will buy the Mar, I will buy the Mar speak and say like, this could be a real, like if Pastor can take this recruiting class and turn it into actionable, um, tangible talent um, or tangible productive talent, like he did with Moses Wright, like he's doing with Khalid Moore, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think that bodes really well. I think uh, on that point, I think Moses Wright, Jose Alvarado, these players at Collie Moore, these players that were seen as not nobody's that's an insult to them and their tremendous skills well, no, no 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 but the, but the point but is they that were Moses Wright disregarded by the ACC by the yeah. power power teams and he turned he turned all of them into ACC starters right so that's proof of concept is it not yeah it's it's absolutely proof of concept it what I think this kind of goes into what we want to see from this season um it what I'm really looking for is the, the making the tournament. You got over that hump. You got over the hump in a con in what we called a contract year. And we said it the entire year. I don't think it was you got the boogeyman off your back. Yeah. I, and I don't think, I don't think that was made particularly vague. Like that, that was the expectation, right? That, that 2020, even with all of this, even with all of the, uh, the caveats he had to make the tournament. Now we the, begs the question: What does he do after that? How does he build off of a narrow? And we have to we have to admit it is a narrow tournament inclusion in twenty twenty one. How do you build off of that and generate lasting success, lasting tournament uh, tournament bids, consistent tournament bids, consistent ACC tournament? advancement uh out and consistent but consistent acc tournament semifinals like something like that how do you build off of how do you use 2020 2021 as that recruiting chip you use jose alvarado and moses wright as recruiting chips proof of concept like you said take that and turn that into a springboard for the next two to three to four years. I, this is going to sound weird and I am fully aware of it. I think the biggest thing to expect from this year is, or like the biggest thing they need to go for is that energy and that fun. I think you have it on our sheet as like the grit, the competitive vibes, like Alvarado, but like you don't have to win 
every game. You don't need to go out there and be Gonzaga and be whatever in one or whatever in none. Oh, and then and then at the very last moment, yeah, it, it, that's besides the point. Um, you don't need to do that. Um, but what you do, like, if the fan base and the recruits and the team have a year that is, hey, maybe we lose X amount of games, but were we in a lot of them? You're, if you're getting blown out of the water by conference opponents or, Lord forbid, non-conference opponents, it's time to say, like, hey, maybe it was a fluke. But with the amount of talent coming in, it's just about keeping that – I mean, I think – we talk about this like weird amount of consistency between the women's team and the men's team, but like the Georgia tech brand of basketball is a really gritty, uh, grit and grind, grit and grind. It's the Memphis Grizzlies of the early two thousands. It's back. Bring back the teal jerseys, except teal isn't a Georgia tech color. Please go back to talking about grit and grind so I can save myself here. Yes. No, but it's that high energy basketball. I think that translates well to our arena. I think it translates well to our team's historic skill set. If, if you're plugging clearly the offensive step up from, wow, it's really terrible. Like we could not shoot a three to save our life outside of Quentin Stevens and Passner's first year. Right. That was a move. That has like, granted, it's not the most creative offense you could have, but some effectiveness it's not a miracle when we score 60 or 70 points anymore like you're you're at a place where like you just need to say hey this is passner ball or or revenue ball or or whatever keep the band together and keep building because because we're at the stay old state and i I already said that too but we're, we're at the point where this is what passner said was coming so can we keep it there and and i think the the energy and making sure they're like playing their game of basketball as cliche as that sounds Georgia tech does not need to be the, to play basketball the same way Kentucky or Duke or Oklahoma or or whoever, you know, plays basketball. We don't, we're not going to have, unless Michael DeVoe becomes vastly more consistent, we are not going to have a transcendent star. And, And I, and I would argue that last year's team, Jose Alvarado, Moses Wright were very good players, but they weren't like the, it was the, all right, the ball is going to Zion kind of thing, or the, or to use a Georgia Tech example, the ball is going to Josh Kogi, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm a little off the cuff because this was all unplanned in what I just said, but. No, 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 I think it's fair. It, Georgia Tech is in general, they're not, they're a team. They're a team, right? It, 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 Obviously, that sounds very obvious, very cliche to say, but they're a team They're They play together where instead of funneling the ball to a token guy. Yes. Sorry. They, they play together instead of funneling the ball to a token guy. There's pros and cons to that. Right. There's yep. pros and cons to that way of playing basketball. I, I think it works because of the way they grant they grind out results during the season. If they can continue to grind out results like they did during the tail end of 2021, I, I think it's feasible. Like I, I don't see why not. Right. The team, this is this, again, again, leading on sports cliches. We talk grit and grind, but the team knows how to win now. You know, like they did the thing. There's, there's Jordan Usher can go to 
Debo Coleman or, or, you know, whoever Tristan Maxwell or Tristan was here, but you know what I'm saying? New guy and say, Hey, like we had to put in this kind of work. We had to do these things. The pressure is hard, whatever that is. And that's, you know, winning, like what, what was it? It's like seven or eight games in a row just to be, just to be in the conversation. And then they captured an auto bid to put them firmly in the conversation. And, And it was the, Take care of business. Don't even put it in the committee's hands. You know? Yeah. And it's still, if they hadn't gotten the out of bid, it still would have been close, right? Yep. yep. So you're playing with fire. Like they played with fire at the end of last season. They didn't get burned. I think they got really lucky that they didn't get burned. Um, yeah. It's, it's, I don't think it's negative to say that at all. That, but they have to bring that same competitive energy, that same competitive fire every single game cover to cover and i'm not saying they didn't per se last season i'm saying that they need to be able to grind out results versus conference opponents like think about think about the nearest equivalent season other than the weirdness of 2020 think about that 2019 year where there were so many near misses you had a near miss to duke you had a near miss to louisville all of these near misses Converting those is that first step. Converting those is that grinding out results. You yep. you can do it. It just you have to finish the drill in those cases. Yep, I agree. And I love that we said we are an analytical site, and then proceeded to say that the secret to next year is grit, grind, and energy and intensity. Um, but I didn't but- say we were a. I didn't say we were a numbers analytics. We're a vibes analytics podcast. Oh, oh for sure, analytics, um, baby. I'm sure that yeah. that's something that I'm going to regret saying later, but it's fine. I, I, I guess it is. I'm going to sum it up unless you have anything else to say. No, I mean, I have nothing. I was going to segue into the conference outlook, but give us your summary first. Georgia Tech is losing two very important players. It's gaining a lot of depth. The difference is going to be between last year and this year is can some combination of multiple new or breakout players, be that players that have been on the team before, Ibera, Howard, uh, et cetera, uh, Tristan Maxwell, and new blood, Davon Smith, et cetera, equal or better um, what we saw last year when combined with you know some pretty critical returning parts. Um, that being said, just talking through this, uh, even though I, I'm <laughs> – a little bit skeptical uh, has me very excited for the upcoming year. I hope that comes across uh, in how we've talked about the team so far. And, uh, and yeah, I don't know. I was listening to the pep band trying to figure out what uh, Alexander's ragtime band was. Uh, and now I just really want to go to a basketball game at McCamish. Um, so yeah, that that's what I got in terms of the actual Georgia tech team. Okay. So you want to, you want to run through their conference slate real quick i don't have there's no actual calendar in front of me but we can at least talk about the teams yeah i don't i don't think they've released the exact uh schedule like we said we play all the teams we know we're playing clemson and uh Notre dame twice i believe we know which teams we're playing a second time uh just based on the rotation but i do not have the rotation memorized so, so- i so i think the actual like you said the the actual schedule like the actual fixture list is available, yeah. but they don't have dates on them. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
So which does explain a lot into how the vibe and and the the narrative, I guess, of the, of the season goes based on who you're playing when, in what order, um, and I when, guess and was, what shape the team is in when you play them. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, that being said, I do notice on our little sheet here we have blue bloods at the top of the list. So I guess that means we get to talk about Duke now. Ah, uh, yes. Noted blue blood Clemson at number three on our list. Anyway, um, let's start at the top. Uh, I'm going to, we're going to go quick with this because it, we are running out of time. Uh, we have run out of daylight actually on the East coast. Uh, so uh, I'm going to give you a team. You're just going to fire off some thoughts and we're going to go from there. Are you ready? Yep. Duke blue devils. They had a lot of distractions last year, be it off the court and their drama about COVID in the non-con schedule uh, on the court with uh, the whole Jalen Johnson. Is he playing? Is he not? Um, that being said, uh, I, I think Coach K, especially in his last year, uh, it's, it's a proven model as any. They have a ton of talent coming in. I believe three top 25 recruits, something like that. So even though they lost a lot, uh, they got a lot back. Um, the question, as many Duke teams is, can all of that turnover uh, in terms of personnel translate into consistency on the court? Okay, so you remember how I said it was rapid fire? That was rapid for me. Pace, pace, come pace. on. We're, we're going right. fast. We're, right. Just imagine the, it's the end of a PTI episode. We're going, we're going, we're going quick. UNC. Stop. All right, UNC, uh, last year was quote-unquote unacceptable for them. Uh, I think they bring a lot of sophomores back, even though they have a new head coach. Uh, I believe uh, head coach familiar with the team as well. So I think they're probably going to be improved from last year, maybe not national title contenders, though. Better? Better. Uh, Roy is also gone after this year. Or, no, he is gone now. He's already gone. That's why I said new head coach, familiar with the team, et cetera. Keep up. All right, I'm going faster. Clemson, Clemson. they exist. They somehow managed to exceed and uh, exceed expectations every year. Brad Brunell is a mystery. They are stuck in this weird miasma of meh. Uh, Brad Brunell think- is getting a lot of rope here because he lives in Dabo's shadow permanently. So Dabo, Dabo. It's, it's 9.30 Eastern, all right? It's late. Uh, FSU, talk to me. FSU, uh, they lost four of their top five players. I think they're they're on the they're trending down. All right, uh, Virginia. Uh, I think they lost a lot too. Uh, I, obviously, a Tony Bennett's always good teams, but I think they will be the surprise disappointment of the conference based on gut feel, based on what they lost and what they have coming in. Uh, thank you again for the ACC auto bid. Virginia, Syracuse, it exists. It keeps existing at this weird Schrodinger's actually good basketball team point. Please tell me more. I don't know how they make these postseason runs when they just have very average regular seasons. I don't know if exceedingly Bayon, like, average, exceedingly like exceedingly on the nose average. They're just the definition of bubble team the last like five ish years. Just, it's been longer. It's been longer. Like, I, I was going to make some Bayheim joke, but we, we beat that. We beat the horse there. So, like, 
don't know. He's old, but he's always doing his thing. I think he has another son that's going to be playing. I don't know how he keeps having sons because he's old, but, you know. I digress. Um, Louisville, it exists. Are they going to be another fringe top five team again that just completely collapses? I think that they're one of the few teams that definitively gets more in than they lost this past year. So I, I, I think they, they're a tournament caliber team. Uh, thank you, Louisville, for being uh, also not selected for the NCAA tournament like Duke was. Uh, moving right along to a bit of a band of meh. Miami, you noted Jalen Duran. What is he doing? Who is he? He makes his decision on the 6th, uh, but I did just realize reading that he's making his decision on the 6th that it's in 2022. So even if they do get said five-star guy, I'm not convinced it would do anything for this year. Um, I, I don't know how much longer the current situation can keep going in Miami. Uh, they've had a ton of injuries the past two years, uh, and they have a decent amount uh, uh, of talent on the roster, but like, I just don't know if they have enough to compete with the rest of the conference. And at what point do you say, like, we need to make a change? And, and I think they're going to have to start asking that question. I thought Laranega was gone. It's well, Laranega, right? I thought he was gone yeah. after uh, after last season. I thought he's still there. I I, I, I could swear that he's still there. Laranega. Let's right. see. Yeah, um, he's, he's still there. Okay, keeping up the pace. Virginia Tech, you think overrated. Oh, they were overrated last year. They they cakewalked to uh, where they got to be. Um, I, I, I don't have a lot more to add. They're, I think they're overrated last year, and I don't think they changed substantially for this year. Prove me wrong, Hokies. Five teams left. Notre Dame, Mike Bray. What happened? Uh, they're getting old um, in a good way. Uh, they had a rough start to last year. I think they could surprise some teams this year. Fringy bubble team. Uh, I think they're going to be better than they were last year. And then some people will think North Carolina state is Kevin Keats, a winner until he proves otherwise. No. And I don't want to talk about them because I don't like them. Womp womp. Uh, Pittsburgh is next. And I have conveniently forgotten the name of their coach. So please remind me. Uh, They hired that Duke guy. Um, it's not Josh Heupel, but I want to say it is. It's Jeff Capel. Heupel coaches football. At yeah, no, it's Jeff Capel because the names yeah. sound the names sound similar. Yeah, that that dude guy. Yeah, you knew who I was talking about. Uh, they lost uh, Justin Champagne, Champagne, whatever. Champagne, Champagne. Yeah, uh, and they also the wheels fell off for that program late in the year. Yeah, they were they were projected to be like a comfortable tournament team, and Champagne was in line to win the Player of the Year for a while, and then the wheels just they, came uh, completely off. I was going to say they did the old Pittsburgh baseball, uh, <laughs> rip them. Uh, their volleyball team also underperformed last year, so uh, not uh, not great. It's a bit of a miasma. Ball. Moving yeah. on, Wake Forest. Uh, again, Forbes. They're, they're a team that's had to do a lot of building. Uh, they're still in the building part of that phase. Uh, I see them being a la Georgia Tech of a Kogi's sophomore year. Uh, you know, not not the not the dregs anymore, but mm, maybe you might argue that they're still doing program de- demolition, trying to find 
trying to find the uh, abandoned cellar underneath the foundation. They're just digging that hole ever deeper. Um, They're trying to build a four-story parking deck in the middle of Midtown. <laughs> and then put a code of building on top of it. It happens. Last one, Boston College. I think it is a fair – I think it is easier to predict that Boston College will be the worst team in the conference than it is to pick a winner for the conference this year. Boston College did have a coaching change this year. If I remember yeah, correctly, yeah. they canned – like right when the tournament started, they canned their head coach, and I don't remember who they hired, but um, it – Let's them up. It did do be happening. Earl Grant – well, that's not surprisingly fact, Southern. Not, in fact, a, a relative of Jake Grant. Um, he coached at the College of Charleston before this. Uh, let's see. Um, did they make any turn? I guess they made the NIT once while he was there. They won the Colon Colonial at no, yeah, Colonial Athletic Association in 2018. So not not terrible, but. Not, not a particularly brand name hire. They lo they lost to Auburn only by four in 2018. And that was that was one of the like Auburn is the goat years. So Auburn Jesus, baby. Believe in Auburn Jesus. <sighs> All right. That is our very poorly paced rundown. Anything else before we sign off for the night? Um, I'm trying to think of what's coming up. They got fan day on Saturday. I don't know if either of us will be there, but if any of you go and want to let us know how it is, uh, we will take all hot takes. I'm um, told it's the exact same thing as per usual, but it's there's no autographs. So, Sir, the players can sell those now. Why would they give them away for free? I don't know. Uh, I don't really have a good answer to that question. Perhaps I am uh, uh, jaded is the word for that. I don't know, but, um, but yeah, that that's about all I got. It's, it's again, the dog days of August. Um, go listen to Alexander's ragtime band. I don't, I don't know. You gotta, you gotta kill a month and then, uh, then it's football season again. So, well, uh, we did do a double episode week last week. If you're interested in that, uh, you can go listen to us complain about conference realignment for an hour. Yeah. And we didn't even put it behind a paywall because everything on our beautiful site is free from the rumbleseat.com. If you want to email us from the rumbleseat at gmail.com, uh, FTRS blog on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at jgrant98 and Akshay at wherever Akshay is on Twitter. Compliance at gotech.edu. All right. That's it. We'll see you next week. Oh,